Okay? Now, before we pray, I got to give you a little bit of understanding. The book's in the back if you want it free online as well. I wrote a book on Islam. When Muslims act like the way they did on 9-11, that's true to the Quran. Does everybody get that? Okay, that's true to the Quran. When Christians act like they did when they burned witches, that's against the Bible. Okay? So what we have to understand is that it's not comparing apples to apples. When people try to say, oh, well, you Christians have done this, you did this to the Native Americans, whatever they're going to point to in American history or in the Crusades or whatever they're going to point to, we go back to our scripture and we go, that's not what Jesus taught us to do. Does everybody get that? I want you to get this. We really have to understand this. We go right back to our Bible and go, that's not what he said. So uh, Bubba owning Kuta Kinte in the south, Jesus said not to do that. Jesus said he came to set free those that are captives. Okay, so now you're taking captives. That's the opposite of Jesus. Okay. Well, this person raped and pillaged, you know, Pocahontas. Okay, that person's going to hell. Because the Bible says not to rape people. The Bible says, Jesus speaking again, do unto others as you want done unto you. Can I hear an amen if you believe that? Okay. The Quran says, do jihad, make war with the infidels until they submit to paying you off, until they submit to paying the jizya, or they get subdued and conquered, and now you can take them as your slaves. The Quran teaches that. That is not us going into the Quran looking for like what they would consider Old Testament, which they don't, and trying to apply it to a different time. No, that's exactly what Muhammad did. That's exactly how he lived. He conquered people. Our Jesus died for our sins. This man killed people. The, Jesus set people free. This man enslaved people. Do you guys get that? He brought back in polygamy. He brought it back in. His culture already had it, but he brought it back into religion to validate it. And then not only did he say the Muslims could have four wives, but he had many, many more. He said, you can have as many, Quran speaking, as your right hand can possess. So even though a Muslim can only have four wives, and they can divorce them at any time they want, they can just say the words, that's a whole other story. Though they can only have four wives, they can have as many sex slaves as they want. Okay? I want you to understand that because this is not apples to apples. This is not like, well, y'all have done stuff in the past, and now you're doing it again in, uh, you know, politics, and Trump was like, no, 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 no. Anybody in Christianity who ever acts other than Jesus, we denounce easily. We're like, that's not us. That's not what we do. Okay? Now, the statistics change back and forth. But upwards, 10, 20, 30% of the billion Muslims take everything I just said very seriously. They take that very seriously. The Quran plus their hadith equals the, the Sharia law. The Sharia comes from the Quran, and the hadith is the traditions of their prophet, found primarily in Sahih Bukhari, okay? So they take their Quran, they take their traditions, and that equals Sharia. You have entire nations right now that are Muslim operating under Sharia law. Entire nations. Iran, okay, operates under its form of Sharia law, okay? Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, 
Just look up these nations and understand what I'm talking about. These are nations that operate under their Islamic law. There is no, even even if you want to say, well, America is a Christian nation, there is no nation in Europe or in America or, you know, in this continent that operates under Christian law. We just saw the passing of the queen, and now there's a king, and he, he says he's going to uphold Christian law. In their parliament, they do not apply the Bible the way the Muslims apply the Quran. So even if you want to say England lives by Christian law, they do not have it. I mean, just look at England. They, they don't have it. Oh, okay. That's not the reign of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that is not good. We're going to figure that out, but let's go back to pray. <laughs> Hopefully the ceiling doesn't collapse. I think it's a filter. I want everybody to feel safe because that, that threw me off. Okay, let's just feel safe for a second. It's a filter, and it is so bad out there right now, by the way. Right? Like it was flooding on the way here. We're going to figure this out. Everybody, if you need to exit, that will be your door. Okay? And then there's another door that way, and then there's a door that way. Single file lines, make sure you exit without stomping on each other, okay? We don't want this to turn into a uh, Travis Scott concert, okay? But stay standing if you can. If you can, if you got to sit down, go ahead. But just stay standing because I want us to pray for this. I'm giving you the heads up here. Thank you. Let's give it up for these brothers coming to work. Yeah, we might have to leave a bucket there. Who knows, man? Uh, just thank you guys. I want everybody to get this. You cannot point to any European American nation living by Christian laws. Possibly the best example might be an African nation one of them, I can't remember the name off top, might be applying some Christian laws in their nation right now, and they may be uh, making homosexuality illegal and a death penalty, something like that, okay? But other than that, there are multiplied dozens, well, maybe upward of a dozen, Sharia-run nations. Okay, now I want everybody to get this. In a Sharia-run nation, what I'm doing right now is illegal. What I'm doing right now is illegal. Our Christian brothers and sisters are suffering there, okay? They are waging war even right now. Many of those nations are at war or they have declared war and they're waiting to act on the declarations already made. Salman Rushdie was a man from Iran who wrote a book against Muhammad called the Satanic Verses. He had a fatwa put up against him, I think in the 80s or something. He was just stabbed by a young Muslim in America, I believe, just a few weeks ago. See, these things are ongoing. So we're here today remembering 9-11 based on when it touched us. And I'm not saying everything we've done in American politics has been right. You know, Iraq probably should have been Afghanistan, not Iraq. You know, I mean, I'm not here to get into all that, and I'm not really an expert in that, right? But my point is, is like, it touched us on 9-11. What did they do? They waged war against us. Why did they wage war against us at 9-11? Because they believe we're infidels. Now, think about this before we pray for them. Can you blame them if you look at the outside? Look at all the pornography that we have. Look at all the homosexuality that we have. This is all punishable under death in their communities. 
you know, the hijab and the burqa, the way the women dress. Could you imagine a woman shaking her booty in Pride Fest in the middle, middle of Saudi Arabia or a man or homosexuality or, or Cardi B performing in Pakistan? I mean, could you imagine this? Just look, dude, they do stonings without even the government's permission, almost like Bible times. They've ripped people out of the university dorm rooms and stormed them on college campuses. Look at that. Let's look it up. Blasphemy stonings in Pakistan. One just happened not too long ago, okay? Their laws give them permission to do that. Now, can you blame them if that's what they believe? Well, God's going to hold them responsible, but I can't necessarily blame them in this sense. It does look like we're the nasty Goliath. Did you ever think about that? Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, all of these, uh, what they call the militant versions. What, by the way, if anybody ever says to you, as a Muslim, they're your friend, they work with you, 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 know, you love them, they love you, you know, they're kind to you, and they say, oh, I don't believe in any of that, I, I condemn all of that. That's wonderful. What you have just met is a hypocrite Muslim. Just, just understand that. That's wonderful. Thank God you're more closer to my Bible than you are your Quran. Let's get you to renounce the rest of it, okay? Uh, and then you can show them, you can show them the scriptures that I'm talking about. I have it in the book, but watch this, watch this. When David went and killed Goliath, did y'all feel sorry for Goliath? Did y'all feel sorry for Goliath? I'm just asking. When David went and killed a bunch of other Philistines, did you feel sorry for him? We just talked about Joshua, right? Didn't we just, didn't, didn't we just have somebody up here talk about Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho? When those walls fell down, did they feel like marshmallows? Those little foam walls they have on Hollywood sets? People died that day, did they not? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you feel sorry for him? Now you know why there was rejoicing on 9-11 around the Muslim world and a lot of those Muslim nations. Look up, so some of you, how many of you were not alive during 9-11? Because we got a young church. How many were not around in 2001? Raise your hand if you were not alive in 2001. Okay, a lot of you young adults. So you, do you all know how to raise hands? Raise hands. There you go. A lot of young adults there, okay? Okay, so you already weren't even here. But you can look it up on your phone celebrations of 9-11. They were celebrating in Muslim worlds. Okay? And some of our friends went to war in Afghanistan and we've lost some people because of that war. Some of you have lost friends and family because of the wars that have ensued after that. I wanted to say all of that because this church wants you to be aware this is not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. One of the signs of the end times is that Christians will be beheaded for their faith. What is Muslims' favorite way of killing apostates and those who are Christian. What's their favorite way? Beheading. Put up the, uh, I think they were Egyptian Coptic brothers and sisters being beheaded on the shores of a Syrian beach. I know that's a lot for you to Google, but they're going to be dressed in orange, they're going to be blindfolded, and they're going to be on a beach, and they're about ready to be beheaded. ISIS. Now, what you do with the information I gave you has to come across now with love and grace to the community. Because if you just walk up to him and say, you know, Muhammad was a pedophile, false prophet, he's going to hell, the conversation just ends. What you want to do is start conversations with them that get them to look at their book. So, hey, do you believe that men can possess women? That's a question. Then you just have the, the surah ready for them. You have the scripture in their Quran, and y'all have it back there for you. Hey, do, do you believe you can possess women, you know? Hey, do you believe that you should wage war? until the people either pay you money and submit to you or they get conquered and they can be enslaved. Do you still believe that? 
Or do you, you know, tell me what you believe, because this, this is what your Quran says. Tell me how you understand these things. That's how, how, how I would bring that up to them. And then oftentimes they'll want to distract and say, well, your Bible's been corrupted. Then show them in their Quran where it says that their Quran confirms our Bible. They're commanded to receive the Torah and the Injil, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here we go. This is what Islam looks like today when it's allowed to function the way that it's able to function. This can happen to apostates. So think about this. When we pray for Muslims, we're asking them to get saved. How many want to see Muslims get saved? How many want to see Muslims in Saudi Arabia get saved, in Iran get saved? How many want to see them in Pakistan, Afghanistan? Amen? This is what you're asking them to do then. Apostates are number one death, uh, the ones that can be killed, number one in their religion. That is, that is a no-brainer. You turn from our religion, we now have the right to kill you. This comes from their scriptures. This comes from their hadiths. This is their Sharia law. So now just remember this. When you are praying in the next few moments, Lord, save Muslims. This is what you're asking them to be willing to do. Okay? Some of you aren't even willing to go to Bible study this week, but you're going to pray for a Muslim to get saved, and they can get beheaded by their own family. In America, they've labeled it honor killings, right? Like, oh, the family member's going to kill the other family member for whatever reason. This is just part of their culture. This, this, this is not new. We, we label it something in our, in our uh, American society, you know, honor killing. This is a part of their law, okay? Now, these are Christians here because you know why? Because when Christians refuse to submit to the Sharia, now they don't have a peace contract. The Christian, believe it or not, is more honored among any other people among the Muslim. It's commanded for them to honor the people of Al-Kitab, the people of the book. So we are given the highest status after a Muslim. We're given the highest status. It's because he came after Christ and he wanted to get Christ on his, you know, Christians on his team, so he tried to honor us. But the moment a Christian says, I won't take either one of those options, off with their head. Now that motion I just did right here, they have right now imams doing that motion. They say it in their teachings. We give them the choice, they don't want it, take them down. That was from a few weeks ago. I have it. All of this I have documented. This is not conspiracy. So when a Christian goes, well, I'm still going to worship Jesus. I'm not going to pay the tax. I'm not going to allow you to take my daughter. That's a whole other thing. Right now, in Pakistan, they kidnapped the Christian's daughter. So, I mean, I'll cry right now telling you guys stories. Are, are you okay? I know it's a little bit difficult to stand, but thank you for honoring this time of prayer. It's just helping keep your attention in it. It really shows me that we're going to get into this. I want to be passionate when I pray. Amen. This is, this is not just a sit-down prayer. I want us to be passionate. I wear this bracelet because of these people, because of what they go through. Read about this. Another thing, all of this is online. You can go back and check all of my sources. Read about the kidnapping of children in Pakistan, a Muslim nation, Sharia run, where the Muslim men, these dirty, filthy men, kidnap these Christian girls, 9, 10, 11 years old, because Muhammad, over 50 years old, married Aisha at 6 and consummated it at 9. They kidnap these 9 and 10-year-olds. And then they say, we heard them confess Islam. So now they cannot belong to the parents anymore because the parents are Christian. So they belong to the Islamic community, the Ummah. They belong to them. In their mind, they belong to... I've heard, I heard her. She confessed Muhammad as the prophet. Now, now, notice the problem that this now causes for the Christians. They have to go to the Islamic Sharia law 
and say that this girl really didn't confess Islam. Do you think they're going to believe them? No, I mean, read these stories. They're heartbreaking. Some of them are on video as well. Heartbreaking. They're saying, of course my nine-year-old did not confess Islam. She's a Christian like us. She loves Jesus. She was kidnapped. Oh, well, we don't believe you. Well, just ask her. Now think about the girl. What's the girl going to say? I've been kidnapped because what did those people say back to her? If you deny that you've confessed Islam, we're killing you. We're killing your family. We're killing everybody. And so sometimes they do stand up, and then these girls get burned alive. They get killed. They get murdered by rape. These are true stories because they stand up. So what are we praying for? Let's just make sure we understand this. We are praying for Muslims to get saved. We are praying for peace to come to the Middle East, which I could talk about Israel and Palestine, but that would be another discussion. But we are praying for peace in the Middle East. We're praying for Muslims to get saved both here and abroad. And we're praying for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be glorious in these nations. We're praying like what we've seen in other Muslim nations, like Iran, one of the ones I was discussing before. Revival's breaking out. Read about the, or watch the video on the two girls who used to give out Bibles and got arrested and tortured, and then they got released. We want the gospel to go forth. Amen? I know that's a lot to take in on 9-11, but it's not just about raising the red, white, and blue today and just remembering the heroes, though they are, and it's important to pray for our nation. We need to pray for the Muslims. Do you see that I love them? And I'm being honest with you. I tell them this when I talk with them, in love and respect. And you know what? You'd be surprised how much they respect me coming at them like this. I've had this corner store used to be run by a Muslim. You know what he used to say to me all the time? You know more about Islam than I do. I'm like, yeah, because I care about you, man. I want you to accept Jesus. Esau is how they say it in there in Arabic. I said, I want you to become an, you know, Al-Kitab, a person of the book. I want you to accept Jesus. He's the Mashiach. I want you to be a Christian like me. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just a prophet or Razul. He's the Son of God. Amen? Father, we lift up to you Muslims right now. We pray for the Muslim countries to be saved and brought under not Sharia law, but the law of grace, the gospel. We pray for Muslims to be made Christians, not by force, but by the preaching of the gospel in these nations right now. We lift up to you all of these nations right now, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Northern Africa. We lift up to you Libya, where these uh, slave trades still going on, Islamic slave trade, Lord, and the oppression of Christians. We pray for the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Dubai, uh, United Arab Emirates, Lord. We pray for Afghanistan, Pakistan, oh God. We pray for Southeast Asia that's been invaded by Islam, oh God. Indonesia, Malaysia, Bangladesh, oh God. We pray, oh Father God, for them. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for those who may not be terrorists, who may very truly renounce all of these things, but Lord, they still claim Islam as their religion. We pray for them to repent, to come to know and love your son, Jesus Christ. We pray for our precious missionaries who are in these nations right now. Some of them have already suffered martyrdom in their churches. We pray for you to uphold them and strengthen them and to comfort them. Be with our brothers and sisters who are in jail, in prison, who are being tortured even right now, Father. Encourage them. Help us to love them. And help us to reach out to our neighbors and to our friends and to teach the truth about Islam without meaning it personally towards them, but to teach it in a way that touches their heart and helps our culture awaken to what's going on in this nation. Father, it's in Jesus' name we prayed and everybody said, amen. Can we bless the Lord today? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Wasn't that a passionate prayer for our brothers and sisters? I pray that you're encouraged by that. We love Muslims, but we hate Islam. Amen? I love Roman Catholics, but I hate Roman Catholicism. I love, you know, all of these people, but I hate lies. How many hate lies today? How many know God is the Father of truth, and Jesus is the Son of truth, and so is the Spirit? He's the Spirit of truth. You ready for that today? Somebody say this with me. Slaves to sin or sanctified sons? Which one do you want to be today, a slave to sin or a sanctified son? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 8, verse 31. Hopefully the last sermon out of this portion of John. We're going through it verse by verse. I pray that it's been blessing you. Today what I want to do is hit on the first part and the last part. These two parts may not complement each other at first or seem obvious to why I would do it, but I think if you hang on, you'll see why I want to do this because there's something so important about these two parts of the passage that I haven't yet been able to address. That's John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, and then there at the end of John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verses uh, 54 all the way to 59. Somebody say, God is able. He's able to help you understand these two important points I want to give you. We're going verse by verse through the book of John, and I've already spoken twice on this by God's grace. Now, hopefully the third time we can wrap it up, but there's just two things that I feel that are left on the table that we've got to address. The first one is how to know the truth and be set free by the truth. You see, the Bible gives us in this, in, in this story that there are sons of God and there are sons of the devil. When you hear people talk about we're all sons and daughters of God, you know you have met someone who has not read Jesus' teachings. Jesus is very clear there are sons of God and there are sons of the devil. The Roman Catholics made a peace treaty with the Muslims a few years ago to try to resolve some of the issues and conflicts that were going on, and they made two great mistakes. Number one, the Roman Catholics affirmed that the God of Islam is the same God of the Bible, and that's not true. The God of Islam is Satan, and that doesn't take very much to, to, to hear about Islam to understand that's Satan. How many believe that's Satan? Allah is Satan. Muhammad did not meet Gabriel. He met, he met a demon. Okay, so that's the first mistake that they make. The second one is that we're all children of God. That is not true. Now listen, we are all creation of God, creation of God, but we are not all children of God. The difference between creation and children is the intent of the heart. If you have been born again and your heart has changed in the image of God, you are a child of God. But if you are merely a creature living upon God's earth but not having a changed heart, you are a child of Adam, which Adam brought to us damnation and sin. Adam made his choice to reject God. And so if you remain in that path, you are a child of the devil. So listen, to not make a decision is to have made a decision to remain as a child of, of the devil. Can I hear an amen? Let me show you it to you in the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 16, one of the most famous verses that we know and love around here. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Look at John 3, 16. Now go down to verse 17. What does it say? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus didn't come for condemnation. Keep going. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. What's the word? Already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So passivity in humanity deserves their condemnation. Think about that. 
Well, I, I, I'm not sure. There's so many things going on. I'm not ready to make a decision. Okay, your passivity keeps you in your damnation in your condemnation. That's why when I talk to people and they say, well, I'm not sure, you know, let me just think about it. I'm like, you should take that serious. You should go back and think about this more than you think about your college studies. You should go back and think about this more than you think about your job, your 401k, because according to the message of the gospel, the person who is not believing is condemned already. They stand condemned. So you must take an action to come out of condemnation, and that action must be belief. Somebody say belief. Thank you. Now, going back to John chapter 8, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, these are people who are moving forward. They're doing the right thing. They do believe in what Jesus had said in the previous verses. He says to those people, if you hold to my teachings, you will really be my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. What does it say in the King James? Make you free, right? So you will be set free. You're not going to set yourself free. God's going to set you free. You're not going to make yourself a new person. God's going to make you a new person. Now, that is where the rubber meets the road. Do you believe that God can set you free? Do you believe that God can make you free? So I see people right now with pen and paper out taking notes. That's awesome. Those of you who are not, that's still cool. But if you can, everybody grab out a phone or something to write with. And write down three of the worst characteristics of your, your, your life that you wish you could get rid of right now. For me, it would be my temper, my lust, and jealousy. Let's put those out there. For me, you put down yours right now. I have to battle with jealousy. I have to battle with my temper. I have to battle with lust, okay? Now, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Those are my three that if you ask me on any given day of the week, I can tell you how I'm doing. Write down yours, please. I'll give you a few more moments. Because we have to be honest what we need to be set free from. So if everybody's like, well, I don't need to be set free from anything, well, then who am I talking to now? You know, am I talking to the angels? You know, am I up in heaven already? Now, don't get so spiritual and get ahead of the message and be like, well, pastor, I've already heard this before, so I know I'm set free from this by faith. Okay, we're going to get there. But I'm just saying right now, where are your biggest struggles, biggest fights of temptation? For me, sinning in my anger, okay? All anger is not sin, but I know <laughs> that I have temptation to sin in my anger, okay? I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. Lust, I know a lot of people can. And then jealousy, man, I wish I had more at this stage of the game. And it goes from the desire to have more to why do they have it and I don't. I can get tempted that way. It's getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. But at least you got a Pentecostal pastor here today, amen? I'll keep it real. Hey, hey, man, I'll keep it real. Now you know how to pray for me. So somebody's walking around going, I just know he struggles with anger and he struggles with it. He's confessed that to us, dummy. Why are you acting like you had to be a prophet to know that? He told you to pray for him. You've been praying for that in his life? Amen. And then when I tell him I haven't looked at pornography since 96, I said, well, I'm doing pretty good with my battle of lust. How are you doing? They see they don't want to put it back on them. See, I'll put it on me. I'll tell you when the last time I lusted after someone that wasn't my wife, you know, and these kind of things that I deal with. I confess it all the time. I have no fear of that. But I don't live in that continual sin, and I don't perpetuate it and grow in it. I grow in the grace and the holiness of God. Amen? And the same thing with my temper. You talk about, you talk about anybody that's been with me for a certain amount of time, one of the things that they'll say is, Joe's getting nicer as time goes on. 
Everybody has their story. It doesn't matter if you joined me a, a year ago. If you started hanging out with me, you're like, Joe's got nice in the last year. So, so when people meet me and they're like, man, you're, you're angry all the time or this or that, I'm like, man, you don't know how much God has worked on me. If you don't like 3.0, you wouldn't have liked 1.0. I'm already on 4.0. God keeps upgrading. Amen? Come on, somebody. Keep it real. Amen. You, you know God's working on you, and that's why we go from glory to glory to glory. We don't go from glory to glory. We don't go from the mess to the blessed to the mess to the blessed. God wants to bless us above our messes. Amen? And so he's not going to bless the mess, but he'll bless you when you confess your need for him. Okay, so those are mine. Now, what is Jesus saying is the answer to that. Does he say... With this in mind, the struggles, temptations of your life, does he now say, when you know the spiritual workout and diet and yoga pose, you will be set free? Is that what he says? When you know the religious works that I want you to do, the different things I want you to say, all of this mantra or all of these trips and holy pilgrimages, then you'll be set free. Is that what he says? No, he says, if you hold to my what? Teaching, you're really my disciple, and then you will what? Know the truth. And now watch this, and the truth will set you free. You and I don't set ourselves free. That's the first thing we have to realize if we want to be free, is I cannot set myself free. I was talking to the brother uh, yesterday out there when we were preaching the gospel to him, and he's like, man, God's working on me, and I'm doing my part. He's doing his part. He said, but I'm just not ready for all of these other areas to be worked on. I said, listen, you're doing it wrong. Because can something broken fix itself? No, it needs to be fixed. So you don't have to wait to be fixed if that's all you need to be fixed. You need to be fixed. So why am I waiting to be fixed? Hand yourself over to the repair shop. Hand yourself over to the repairman. Well, I'm not ready. Why aren't you ready? See, that's the issue. See, then that's another sin, isn't it? See, the person who says, I'm not ready to give my sins to Jesus is making now another sin. What is that sin? The sin of procrastination, the sin of laziness, the sin of unbelief. Because if you really wanted to be free, you would be ready to be free. Like, if you really wanted to be a millionaire, are you ready right now to be a millionaire? Come on, somebody. Come on, let's just be honest. I'm not talking anything dishonest here. I'm just talking like, if your business could be blessed, if your finances could be blessed to a million dollars, would you be ready right now? Yeah, I would be ready right now. I'm not going to say I have to go get ready. I would say I'm ready. How many single people ready to mingle? You ready? Right now, no, don't say anything. I'm messing with single people. I know, I'm kidding. Got single people in here. But I was ready when I was single, and my wife came. You know what I'm saying? You, you have a desire that moves you. Your desire should be the fire of your motion in life. Like, you should get fired up about the things you really believe in. And, and it's true that you don't believe in everything the same way. I get it. Like, I've been talking about a six-pack all summer, Jason, and the summer's almost gone now, and I still don't have it. So, so in actuality, I probably don't want a six-pack as much as I wanted that ice cream. And uh, we made Rice Krispie treats last night. So, I, I mean, if you're going to be honest, my desire, if, you, you know, if you're going to measure desire, you can't, you can't look at my life and say, well, he really wants a six-pack as much as he wants Rice Krispie treats. No, because if, if Joe really wanted a six-pack, 
more than he wanted Rice Krispie treats, he would have it instead of having what he had last night, instead of having what I had. And I had Rice Krispie treats, and I don't have a six-pack. Amen. Thank you. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to give up on this journey. I'm coming, I'm coming hard in the fall and the winter to come back in the spring with a six-pack in Jesus' name. My wife and I, that's how we think, you know, because well, once you get covered up in the fall, you don't get uncovered to the beach and, the, 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 you know, the pools and all that to the spring. So, so that's what I, I got from now until then. Okay? But, but everybody look at your life. Do you want to be free from those things? Do you, like for me, do I want to be free from anger, like sinning in my anger? Yes, I do. I want to be free. So I'm ready now. I'm ready now. Jesus, I want to be free now. I never want to confess my sin of anger again because I don't want to, I don't want to do it. I don't ever want to have to confess lust ever again. Now, am I to the point, if I'm a Christian, where I can live like that, where I never have to do it again? Absolutely. Look at verse 35. It says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family. So we're not slaves, we're sons. But a son, and this refers to in the generic sense, a child. So you can be female here. But a son belongs to it forever. Verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. So right now, according to the Bible, if I'm a disciple and I'm a believer in Jesus, do I ever have to sin in my anger again? No, I don't ever have to be a slave to my anger again, do I? Do I ever have to lust again? No, do I ever have to be jealous of what someone else has that I don't have ever again? No, because I'm free. Like right now, I'm free. I am free right now. I do not have to commit the crimes of sin anymore. Now ask yourself this, do I believe that? You have to ask yourself, do you believe that? Because the moment you insert in there other things, you're coming outside of the truth and you're in error. Therefore, it won't work for you. Go back to that verse. Go back to 31. He spoke to those Jews who believed. How many believe in Jesus? Amen. He said, if you, you hold to my teachings, you will really be my disciples. And then holding on to those teachings, you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. So the truth to a drug addict today that Jesus is your sobriety will set you free from drugs. How many have heard testimonies about drug addicts being set free? Amen. The truth to a gangbanger today is that Jesus is your peace of mind. The gangbanger, when they believe that, they'll never go back to the gangs. How many can say amen to that? Heard testimonies about that. How about this? The man cheating on his wife or the woman cheating on her husband today can be set free from the desperate housewife syndrome in Jesus' name and be satisfied in a marriage to never do it again. How many believe that? Amen. See, that's, that's the truth. But that's where we have our biggest problems because lies oftentimes sound like the truth. They have partial truth, and they deceive us. As I mentioned before, in the time of preaching on the streets yesterday, it's indicative of, of so often when I go out preaching, people insert into here the I'm not ready card. And they make that as their excuse. But you see, that I'm not ready card is really unbelief. Because if you really believe God was that good, you would want to be free right now. So they don't believe that being free from perversion is better than their perversion. They don't believe being free from drugs is better than being on drugs. They are still deceived in their mind to thinking, and this goes towards all sinners, that being in sin... And that temporary pleasure is better than the eternal pleasures of God. 
Because if they believed, if they believed truly that where they're at now is the worst place to be and where they could be would be the best place, they would let Jesus set them free right now, wouldn't they? How many of you, it took time, let's just be honest, for you to humble yourself to believe that God had what was best for you? It took time for me. I was a backslider. I came out of church. I backslid. I did a lot of bad things. So I can relate to them. I'm not saying that I'm better than them in any way. I'm just saying that I'm better off because what I learned through the hard way, if you look at the prodigal son, what I learned the hard way is, is that temporary pleasures are tormenting. It's tormenting to watch things come in and out of your life that you find pleasure in and to lose them so quickly. I remember I was hanging out with one of my friends, and we just had one of these deep moments. We were doing some bad things, drugs and partying, all of that. And he had a bracelet that had been given to him by his girlfriend. And it was one of those that you make, you know, kind of crafty out of string and all of that. And while we were partying, you know, it just broke. And I can't remember why it was. Maybe he dapped somebody off or they were wrestling around. But it broke. And I just remember him holding up this bracelet. I'm telling you, I can remember this like it was yesterday. I remember him holding this up. And it hitting him, the frailty of life and the fleetingness of pleasure. And he held it up and he said, why is it everything I love in life breaks? Think about how profound that is from a 17-year-old kid high on weed. It was profound. He got it. And that's what we see even in the richest of people, the most famous of people, the most powerful of people. Why is it everything that they love, everything that humanity goes after breaks in the end? Those rich Russian, you know, patriarchs and obligarchs and all these guys lost their, you know, their, uh, their yachts. They lost all this money in the bank. You know, it didn't matter how powerful they were in Russia. Once those sanctions came down, man, uh, London was like, we're taking this yacht, sir. <laughs> you know, they lost it. Life can take things from you in moments. We had one of our dear brothers in the church. we got to pray for Josh Cruz that him and his family does well. Uh, had his car totaled yesterday. You can die within a moment. You can be like Kobe. Think about this. You can be like Kobe to where your life is so good. Somebody say, how good? Say, your life is so good. How good? Come on, so good that you got a copter that can take you to your girl, uh, your daughter's game, and it crashes on the way there. Man, let's take the copter to the game. I mean, have you ever said that to your friend or your family? Hey, man, let's take the helicopter. Let's, let's ride the helicopter to the game. You can have it so good that you can have a helipad in your backyard and then still what happens? Everything you love in life breaks. You can look at your most precious person in your life. Your mother, her body can break because of cancer. We got Lauren over here, lost her mom because of cancer. The most precious things you can have in life can break right in front of you. Just fall apart like sand through your hand. You you can't stop it. And you see, we're here now in this few moments of life as as we get some more rain coming from here. (laughs) You saw that, brother. Can you help them right here for me, please? Let's give it up for these brothers again. Amen. This might be our ark, and we might need to float away a little bit. Oh, help us, Jesus. How come everything I love in life falls apart. Oh, come on. You got to give it up for a preacher coming up with that. I love this building, brother. Brother Tom, I love it, man. Uh, Brother Tim, rather. Is it Tim or Tom? Tommy. It's Tommy, right? I said it right the first time. Tommy in the back, Hanson? Yes. I love this building, but it's falling apart. You see, 
What God is offering us is something that's not temporary. Think about this. The sexual perverted person will only have sexual perversion for so long. Even if you think of the greatest experiences they can have, let's say this adulterous man, and by the way, my dad talked about what these retirement villages are becoming like. Imagine this, the the free love people of the 60s and 70s retiring in Florida. My dad says that they're complaining about the STD rates now among the seniors of these places. They've raised their kids. They already know how to do a thing or two, and they're all there in Florida with expendable income. My dad has told me this, and I don't take my dad to be a liar. He says, I get reports back from there that it's STD Village. So it doesn't go away. You ever heard of the old saying, the perverted old man? There's a reason for that. And so let's say even there you don't have any of the great catastrophes of life. You can make it through and make it to your retirement village, and and you're as perverted as you've ever wanted to be. There's other uh, people there with you to share in that sin. Okay, so it lasts longer, in other words, than the person who gets AIDS and dies. It lasts longer than the person who goes through multiple divorces until they blow their brains out. It lasts longer than the person who has to be on depression medication because they lost their soul along the way, and now they don't have a sex drive. Okay, so let's say the greatest possibilities you can have sex and promiscuous sex until your 80s and 90s. What do you think happens when you're 96, 97, 98? I don't care if you're Betty White, you're eventually going to die. It doesn't matter if you're Dolly Parton, eventually you're going to die. Miley Cyrus is eventually going to die. She's not going to be able to twerk forever. So everybody listen to me. Hey, come on somebody. It's the same thing with Katy Perry. She's going to kiss a girl one time and not like him. So the denture's going to come out. Are you listening? Going to be kissing gums. Hello, let's keep it real. It's going to happen. Life is going to end. And the pleasures of man will be like vapor. Here and gone. All that mankind can store up for themselves will be left here to become dust. Why do I say it all like that? Because Jesus is offering us freedom. He's offering us freedom from the temporary pleasures that tie us to this world that will be destroyed. And the people who don't want it are deceived by the temporary pleasure of it or the pleasure of their sin. The people who don't want the freedom are deceived by what this pleasure gives them now. But what we get is pleasure forevermore. In other words, the pleasure that I now have with God lasts for eternity. And it's better than sex. It's better than money. It's better than power. It's better than the the ability to be important and to be followed or admired. All of these temporary pleasures have on them an expiration date. But the glory of God, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. The glory of God knows no end. 2 Corinthians, rather. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. The glory of God knows no end in our life. It goes from glory to glory to glory. Look at what it says. Even to this day when Moses is read at verse 15, a veil covers their hearts. So people don't get this who don't want Jesus. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now you can really see what life's about. It's like you were blind, but now you see the veil has been opened. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. There is what? Freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate. You want to meditate on something, contemplate on something, contemplate on the Lord's glory. 
Because when you do, you are transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Ever-increasing. Does the glory of the Lord ever end? It never does. It's ever-increasing, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So is Jesus really the party pooper? Because every party has a pooper. And Jesus is that one today. He's the party pooper. No, no, really, Satan is the party pooper. Because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't. Amen. That's, that's what I'm about. So when actuality Christians are not prude, they're not saying, I hate pleasure. Christians, when you look at it, are actually saying, I value pleasure more than the world. But it's real pleasure, not imitation. If I invited you right now to go swimming in a Chicago pothole, which is definitely pretty deep right now, and we probably could go swimming in it. I saw some on the way here. $1,000 damage done to our van from hitting one of those last week. Pray for us. Uh, if I said, let's go swim in a Chicago pothole, would you do it with me? No, would any sane person do it? But if I said, let's go to the Bahamas and let's go into the beautiful ocean or somewhere beautiful like that, those of you who are not scared of swimming, would you go with me? Of course, of course. I mean, the, the choice is obvious. So when the world looks at us and they say, you don't want this, and they're pointing to their drugs, they're pointing to their perversion, they're pointing to their greed, how do I see it? I look at them swimming in the pothole. No, I don't want that. Oh, so you don't want any good things in life. You don't want to feel good in life. You don't want to have things in life. No, I, I do, but I want the ocean. I want the freedom of true sexuality in my, in my wife, not in my neighbor's wife. I want the true joy of family with my children, not a gang. I want the true prosperity and wealth of success doing God's way, then greed. And then when I die, I want to be rewarded for those things so that I can have eternity to enjoy them, my treasures of heaven. Wow, there's treasures in heaven. Yes. So why are people more interested in seeking treasures on earth than they are in heaven? Because they don't believe they're there. And yet Jesus is telling us, with his very own life, they're there, and they're worth it, and you need to be free. Go back to John, please. Go back to John chapter 8. Notice what he says here. Verse 35, a slave has no permanent place in the family. What does that mean, the slave to sin? The slave to sin doesn't get to stay doing what they do. ACDC on the Highway to Hell song makes hell look fun like it's a place they want to go. When ACDC, if they don't repent, goes there, they will not want to be there. Marilyn Manson used to make his, his, his life work and art about glorifying that which was gory and disgusting. When he truly sees what life is like without God, if he doesn't repent in hell, he will not want to be there. Does everybody get that? There is no one that once they get to hell says, this is where now I want to be. It's because it has deceived them. It made them think that, well, if heaven is where I can't do these things, well, then I, I probably can do those things in hell because that's what's sending me there. No, the things that send you to hell are not what you're going to do in hell. The things that sent a sinner to hell, those sins are the deception of what hell actually is. The Venus flytrap looks like something the fly wants, the sweetness. It looks like it's something that it wants. But what it really is is not a sugar cube. It's really not a sugar plant. It's really a devouring plant. 
the, the cheese on the mousetrap looks like what the mouse really wants. That's what the mouse really wants. The mouse really wants the cheese. But what it gets is death. And see, the Bible's very clear that the wages of sin is what? Death. That's what God is telling us. So when you go to hell, you don't get to play around with the things that deceived you about death. You get eternal death, which is eternal separation from God. Because how did sinners enjoy their sin to begin with? Didn't they need righteous things to enjoy their sin with? Talk about sexual uh, sin. Didn't they need a body that worked? Right? Didn't they need a body that worked? Because if sex didn't work right with their body, it wouldn't have felt good. In hell, you don't have a body that works right to have sex with. How about the mind when it gets high and they enjoy the trip or they enjoy the journey? In hell, you don't get to get high and enjoy the journey. The mind is in torment. It's always a bad trip. Think about that. It's always a bad trip. It is always the feeling of rape and sex and bad sex. It, it, we'll get to you in just a moment. Thank you, my brother. Someone will ask, uh, answer your question. Sex outside of God always looks like that, but right now it has a little temporary pleasure because you're borrowing God's body that he gave you to sin with it. But when he takes it away, all you'll have is the disgust of sin, the disgust of perversion. Right now, people think, well, you know, I can reason and I can think of all of these reasons why I don't believe in God, and they think those reasons will justify them when they're in hell. But their reasoning comes from God. And so when God removes that reasoning because of their rebellion, when God removes that reasoning from them, they'll have insanity. Think about that. The torment of not being able to put your thoughts together in a logical manner. So what is hell? Hell is not just this place of flames, though I do think that's literal. I do think there's a literal punishment that comes with flames. But it's more so the absence of what God is, the absence of light, the absence of truth, the absence of peace, the absence of joy. It's the absence, the death is the separation from all of those things that God has given. So anyone who thinks they're going to philosophize in hell, they're not going to philosophize in hell and find peace in their thoughts they're going to find torment in their thoughts because there'll be no grounding of their thoughts. There's a, uh, a show that's on that uh, I like to watch, Discovery. It's a Star Trek uh, show. I'm kind of a nerd, by the way, if you didn't know that at times. And, uh, and Spock, guess what happens? He reaches a situation he cannot logic through, and it sends him down a spiral, and he can't find the foundation of a thought. So he keeps chasing his mind to find the foundation, and he can't do it. And what does it do? It brings him to insanity. So I'm kind of spoiling this part of the episode here, but I don't know. Does anybody even care? Nobody cares. You're not watching this. Maybe one person, okay, just plug your ears during this part. No, I'm kidding. So at some point, Spock has to snap out of it. He has to find his foundation. Otherwise, he's going insane. And so this idea that somehow God in heaven is going to allow people in hell to borrow things from heaven while they're in hell is absolutely ludicrous. Those in hell will not be borrowing things from heaven. They won't be borrowing them as they did on earth. Every sinner now has to borrow things from God to do what they do. When a sinner wants to murder somebody, doesn't he have to borrow God's mind and the thing that God gave him to pull a trigger or to do whatever? Don't these people have to use parts of those things God meant for good? Can I hear an amen to that? Even a rapist, doesn't he have to use the body that God meant for good to abuse it? What happens when God says you can't abuse it or use it anymore? I'm taking it away. Now you're only left with the torment. 
And so what people think about being set free needs to go a lot deeper than where they've been. Let me now take you to Colossians in closing for the first point. Everybody say it's just the first point. Amen. And then we'll get to the second point. Look at Colossians. I want to show you what it looks like when you believe the truth. Because remember, that's what he said. The truth will set you free. So, Joe, how have you been set free? Well, I believe the truth. Colossians chapter 3. Now, if I believe that truth, what do I do? There are things that I do, but the most important thing is I have to believe the truth. Notice how Colossians starts off right here. Since then, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Try your best not to sin every day. Make sure you go to conferences that teach you how to be a better husband. Is, is that what it says? Make sure you go to conferences that charge you $199 for the normal seating, but $499 for the special seating with the signed book from the, you know. Is that what it says there? And then make sure you do this and make sure you do that. No, watch what it says then. Well, watch what it says right here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, talking to Christians, how many are Christians here today? Amen. If you're not become one, in Jesus' name, be born again, repent of your sins, believe what we're saying. But watch, you're speaking to Christians. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. See, there's a faith statement there. Do I believe that? Well, I'm still sitting in, the, in, in this place right now. Pastor, how am I raised with Christ? Spiritually, you're raised with Christ. Do you believe that? That's that place of freedom. Your soul has been raised. It's been uplifted. It has been redeemed, brought out of the, the mire, set upon a solid foundation of God's word. That's why the Bible talks to you. It wants you to have these images, just like Psalm 23, the Lord's your shepherd. The Bible wants you to have images of elevation. The Bible wants you to see yourself as an eagle, not as a chicken or a pigeon. Amen? So since you've been raised with Christ, now watch what it says. Set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Next thing, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So I'm supposed to set my mind on something today. Can I sin in my anger if I have my mind set on Christ? I cannot. Some of you think of Christ on the cross, and that's beautiful. That's a, that's a very endearing, sentimental image. But does it say, set your mind on the crucified Jesus? No, that's why when you look at the Roman Catholic Church and they got old white, skinny, emaciated Jesus barely hanging on, that's not my Jesus, right? He don't look like that. And then number two, he's raised in heaven. And when the Bible says set your mind on him, you're not supposed to set your mind on him as, uh, as a suffering uh, servant on the cross. You're supposed to look at him as the glorified Lord sitting next to the Father which is going to get me into part two in just a moment. Because you got to set your mind on something. Think about it. You can't really do two things at once in your mind. Now, I know that we can have arguments with ourselves. Sometimes I don't agree with myself, you know. I have little discussions going on in my head. Anybody ever argue with yourself? Just me? Okay, maybe it's just me. Some of you? Okay. Um, sometimes I, I, you know, I get caught up in my own mind. I, you know, try to figure things out. But if you notice this, even though your body and mind can sometimes do two separate things, your mind is always in one direction. Your mind is always in a direction. You can really only put your mind on one thing at a time. And so what the Bible is saying is, is that when you put your mind on Christ, you can't do those other things that cause you to sin. You can't do earthly things. You can't have two directions that you're going in your mind. If everything you're filtering in your mind comes from your earthly pleasures and desires, then you're going to follow that with your body. But in your mind, if you're leaning towards the Lord, if you're thinking about God and all that you do, as a matter of fact, just scroll down so they can see the end of it. I don't have time to read it all, but verse 17, it says that whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, if you go through chapter 3, verses 1, all the way to 17, the whole idea is you set your mind on Christ, you filter that through every 
everything that you do and not the earthly desires. So now watch, it's impossible to go back to the earthly desires. Sometimes do we do it as Christians? Yeah, but what did we have to do first? We had to take our mind off of Christ and put it back on earthly desires. Going back to Colossians, please. What does he say? Set your mind on these things. Now in verse 5, what else does he say? Put to death. Somebody say put to death. But I can't put to death anything that's in my past or in my, you know, my habits. I don't have the power to do that. Well, the Bible says you can. The Bible said you could. Now, if you don't believe that, you're calling God a liar. So now you'll have what liars have. You'll have your destruction. But if you believe what God said, you'll have his peace. You'll have the freedom from these things. See, notice what he told you you can do. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Remember, just in the verses above that, he said, do not set your minds on earthly things, but on what things? Heavenly things where Christ is seated. Not on earthly things, but things above. So what are, you, what, are you, what are you and I supposed to put to death? The earthly things. Well, I can't do that. Well, then is God a liar? Would God lie to us? Yes or no, saints? I don't think God's lying to us. So if he's telling me I can do something, can I do it? I believe I can. What else does he say? Keep going on in this scripture. He says, rid yourselves, in verse 8, of all such things. You mean now I can rid myself? Watch the first one. Rid yourselves of anger, rage. Wasn't that one of the things that I was confessing? Did you remember my confession list? Has the service gone on that long? (laughs) You remember one of mine was like sinning in my anger, right? Well, the Bible just says get rid of it. Sounds like I should do that. Now, if you think to yourself, well, that just sounds too easy, then you're missing the power of God. You missed what he does because what he does is what you and I can't do. And as Christians, we believe more in what he can do than what we can't do. Christianity is not a what-you-can-do religion. It's what God can do through you relationship. That's what Christianity is. That's why I wanted to take the few moments and go over this, and maybe I'll have to do the next part on the, on the second part of this. So part four will be part two of part three. Did that make sense? Sometimes I confuse myself, but I think I finally got it. There's going to be, this is a part three, but part three has two parts. So part four is going to have to be second part of part three. And that's where I want you to see who Jesus is. Because who are we really setting our minds on? We're setting our minds on God, the Son. We're setting our minds on the perfect, holy Son of God who so full of love came to die for us. And I don't think I can do that justice in the next 13 minutes. So please, by God's grace, come back next week. Hopefully Chicago will not be flooded and we don't have to come on P-Rogues as they would in Louisiana, little canoes. Hopefully we'll come back nice and safely. We'll have this fixed. But keep following in Colossians. What does he say? Set your mind on these things. Put to death these things. Rid yourselves of these things. Verse 9, take off your old self. Verse 12, clothe yourself in the new self. Verse 15, let the peace of God rule over you. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you. Woo! That sounds like freedom to me. That sounds like freedom. So I'm not just shouting it out like, you know, Braveheart, freedom, and then we just all leave out here the same way we came. I'm teaching you how to hold on to his teaching. I'm showing you today the path of holiness, and God will do it. There is no person here that can look me in the eyes 
and say, after you believed in Jesus and you set your mind on him, you put to death your sins, you rid yourselves of all of the sin of this life, taken off your old self, clothed with the new self, let the peace of Christ reign in you, and let the message of Christ dwell in you. There is no person who can say you believed in Christ, did those things, and you still remained in sin. It's impossible. At that point, I will now have to say, where did you fail here? Because God asked you to do something. He asked you to believe him, and then he asked you to walk on that path as if he did what he said he was going to do. That's what he wanted you to do. He wanted me, everybody get this, November 5th, 1995. That day I gave my heart to Jesus and became a kingdom citizen. Come on, kingdom citizen. He, he represented the seven because I'm perfect in Christ, amen. Come on. He wanted me to know at that moment, you don't ever have to sin again, Joe. Guess what it's been the last 25 years? Me learning to believe that. Me learning to believe that. What's 25 years of spiritual growth? It looks like every day learning to put my mind on him more. Instead of allowing my mind to go towards the earthly things, looking at rage or things that make me upset, instead of only reacting out of what my physical nature wants in that moment, stopping to see what God wants. Lust, instead of seeing it as a temporary pleasure, looking at it as what it is, cancer for the soul. Because the earthly thing is a deceptive thing. Heavenly thing shows me just what it is. Somebody put up a post the other day that said, I don't, you see beauty, I see wickedness. And it showed a picture of Kim Kardashian on one side and then like a decrepit like zombie creature on the other side. It made its point. You know, because the world looks at that and goes, I see beauty. And I'm looking at it going, I see wickedness. I see a, a pig with a, a golden ring in her snout. And I don't mean that to be derogatory. I mean that to speak to her soul. She needs to understand there's going to be a cost to what she's done. And I pray for her because she comes from a Christian background. I actually know the man who married her, Rich Wilkerson Jr. If you watch her and Kanye's wedding, the dude dressed up like the Pope. They wanted him to dress up like that. I know that dude. I used to hang out with him a little bit here and there until he stopped uh, returning my calls. <laughs> we'll just put it like that because I got on him for some stuff. He got a little upset with me at one of the conferences I was talking to him at. I was like, look, man, why are you always with Joel Osteen, these guys, man? Why don't you say anything to him? He's like, oh, Joel's a great guy. He's so nice. I'm like, well, you know, anybody can be nice as long as they're, you know, giving you cotton candy and stuff. I said, deception looks nice, you know, but you got to give them the truth. And so after that, I didn't hear from him anymore. But I think about that. I'm only one person away from being Kanye's pastor. Come on, Kanye, sit right here. Let me help you in Jesus' name. It looked like he had a good one for a minute, right? That dude that was helping him go through the Bible during, you know, that Jesus is God tour or whatever that was. Is that what the album was, it Jesus is God? Jesus is King. Yeah, that one. It looked like he had one. But what was the problem, you see? The pleasures of this world pull somebody back. And we got to be careful because it could happen to us. You see, at any given point, at any given point, I can step away from this. I can stop setting my mind on Christ, and I can make Kanye look sane. You could look at me and go, man, we thought Kanye was crazy. Look at Pastor Joe now. He's on meth out there with some homosexual prostitute, caught three diseases, tricking now, trying to get more drugs. It could happen if I stepped out of God's grace are you listening? Wouldn't that be crazy? Former pastor tricking for meth in Belmont and Clark community. <laughs> I, I can't even look at you in the straight face and say, dear God, don't let it happen. As the old saying used to go, if it wasn't for God's grace, there go I. There go I. But with God's grace, what does it look like? 
It looks like my mind is set on him. So I don't have to lust like the way the world lusts. I can have pleasure in God. I don't have to be jealous. I can be content. Paul said, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have little. But in all things, I've learned to be content and satisfied with Jesus. Amen? These are my scriptures. What are going to be yours? Because next week, by God's grace, I want to show you who Jesus is. Because if you can see who Jesus is, if you can see that he's been the lily of the valley, the fairest of 10,000, the bright and morning star, if you can see that he has been your healer, he has been your provider, He has been your peace. He has been your shepherd. If you can see that he's been all of those things and a bag of chips and and some cheese sauce on the side, if you can see that he's been that, you, you will count your flesh as dead joyfully. You will put to death those things joyfully. You will look at the things of this world as a Chicago pothole compared to the place where I went, the most beautiful beach I was ever at, Paradise Island in Nassau, Bahamas, man. Right there. You will see that. Put up a picture, please, of Paradise Island in in Bahamas, man. Come on. You will give anything to be there because you'll see how good it is. How many have tasted and seen that the Lord is good? How many are done in that Chicago pothole? How many don't want the mud of this world, the filth of this world, but you want the joy of God? You want the new self. You want the sonship. You want the child nature of God in you. You want to be like the son of God. You want to be a child of God. You don't want to be a slave to sin. Amen? I believe. I believe. I believe. Somebody say, I believe. I believe Jesus is worth it. When Jesus said, who the son sets free is free indeed, That captured my heart so many years ago, and I pray it never loses its joy because Jesus loved me enough to die for me. He loved you enough to die for you. He didn't leave you in the state that you were in. As the old saying goes, he loved you as you were, but too much to let you stay that way. He came to rescue us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that what? In him we might become the righteousness of God. When you and I will believe that message, the truth will be right there to set you free. And I just want to show it to you quickly. Who is the truth? Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. John 14, verse 16. You can put up that picture. They'll find it in their Bible. Quickly in closing, look at what Jesus said later on in the Gospel of John, talking to those people to help them understand who he was. John chapter 14, verse 16. He said, and I will... Oh, that's uh, verse 6, not verse 16. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So who are we getting set free from? Uh, Set free by? Jesus is the truth. Amen? Let's give it up for Jesus. Come on, somebody. Would you stand up with me today? That's Paradise Island. Man, look at that blue water. How many know that's a beautiful place? How many know if you had a choice between that and a Chicago pothole, you're choosing that? Amen. So, Father, we pray right now that everybody will choose you over the pleasures of this world. In prayer right now, if you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, would you do so? Simply confess your sins and confess him as Lord. Say to the Father in Jesus' name what you want to be forgiven of and ask Jesus to be the Lord, the boss of your life. Band and altar workers, would you come quickly in closing? The rest of us who are already Christians, would you pray and search your heart about those things you wrote down that you want to be free from right now and see if you believe? Just do you believe? Does your desire to want to change result in your belief that God has a better way? Do you believe 
as you go through that list that Jesus is better than all of that. Look at it. And if it's true in your heart, just begin to raise up your hands and say, I believe. Come on, would you raise up your hands and say, I believe. Father, you see hands raised up right now. I pray the truth. Jesus Christ sets them free right now. Everyone right now, you can begin to thank God because you don't ever have to go to those things again. Come on, just begin to worship him. Tell him, thank you. You don't ever have to be the same again. From this day forward, you and I don't ever have to sin those sins again. We are not slaves to those things. We are sons and daughters of God Most High, and we belong to the house forever. Right now, your forever starts right now. Your forever starts right now. You'll forever be free from pornography. You'll forever be free from greed. You'll forever be free from rage. I'm with you in the name of Jesus. You'll forever be free from low self-esteem, worry. Could it be that good? It is, and it's even better. That's what Jesus does. A few more moments, I believe. I believe. I believe. He is who he said he is. He can do what he said he can do. He's not like anybody else. He didn't tell me to contemplate on fixing myself. He told me to contemplate on his glory. Focus on the glory of God today. He didn't say set your mind on 12 steps to make yourself a better person. He said set your mind on Jesus. Set your mind on the great I am. Set your mind on the Son of God. And watch what he'll do right now. We put our hope and trust in you, Jesus. Nothing will be impossible. A few more moments right now. There is freedom. After we dismiss to, to uh, have second service, if you're here today and you want someone to lay hands on you to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit or for spiritual freedom to rebuke the devil, maybe you need deliverance. You've been fighting the, the spiritual battle this week and you know it's the devil, it's his demons. We're here for that. But before we do, right now, believe freedom is yours. Freedom is yours because Jesus gave it.